what a wonderful truth to hear that the eternal Son of God came down from his glory to become one of us. At Christmas time, we give gifts. The reason we give gifts is to remember the greatest gift ever given. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, is the greatest gift ever given. It was a gift given to the world, but not the spherical bowl that we live on. The world is people. Mankind, created in the very image of God. Why did God give His only begotten Son to people? Mankind, though made in His image, a people who are rebellious, disobedient, proud, stubborn, those who fear not God. In fact, that's the very reason He gave His Son. For God so loved the world, He loves you and me. He loves all of us. We are His most cherished creation. And it was because we are a rebellious, a stubborn, an evil people that He gave Jesus because something had to be done about this problem. This morning, I'd like to share with you four P's of sin. The problem of sin, the penalty for sin, the payment for sin, and the pardon for sin. And it all is based in that glorious verse in John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The problem of sin, it's a worldwide problem. It's not a unique problem to Americans, to Africans, to Asians. It's a worldwide problem. All mankind has sinned. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, God in His goodness, in His holiness, in His perfection, cannot tolerate sin. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think that breaks God's law. In fact, in the Bible, sin is described as the transgression of the law of God. Sin 
is a legal violation and affront against God. It is a matter that must, must, must be dealt with. It cannot be ignored. In fact, the more that we read throughout the scriptures of this problem, the more horrifying it is. In in Romans chapter 3, some of the descriptions given regarding sin will cause us to tremble. For there it tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. You see, no matter how good we think we are or how good we may do things, it can't save us. It can't make up for our sin problem. We read that description and we find that it describes our, our, our mouths, our throats as, as an open sepulcher. Uh, it describes the, what comes from our lips as being poison. Oh, how many times do we hear and see people using their, their tongues to, to deceive, their tongues to be cruel, their tongues to be as knives or swords? That's not God's design for the tongue. Our tongues were designed to glorify God, to praise Him in His goodness and in His glory. But rather, we have chosen to use our tongues to boast of our own goodness in which we have none. We use our own tongues to blaspheme God, the one who created us, the one by whom we exist. We use our tongues to speak cruelty and unkindness that is unimaginable. Yet in this, God loves us. God sent His only begotten Son. He loves the whole world, the world cursed by sin. You see, our problem is more than just a problem that can be overlooked. So often, sin in our own lives and even in the lives of those around us we overlook it. We minimize it. We think of it as small, insignificant, but it's not. Do you remember the very first sin there in the Garden of Eden? God had given a simple command. You may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I Hope you know the account. For not long past, and Adam and Eve both took of that fruit that they were commanded not to eat of. One simple bite. One simple bite in disobedience to God brought sin into the world and cursed this planet upon which we live. Their sin was really rebellion. That was the serious matter. And it was so big that it had to be dealt with. All sin has to be dealt with. Which leads us to the second P of sin, 
We've seen the problem of sin in that all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But there is a penalty for sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. This death is more than just growing old and dying. This death is more than just tragically being killed in a car accident or some other tragic accident. This death is described in Revelation as the second death. It is described as a place of judgment, a place of horror. It's described as a lake of fire, of fire unquenchable, of everlasting darkness, a place where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth, it is a horrific judgment. It is horrific. This is the penalty for sin, which illustrates to us how serious sin is before and to a holy, perfect, righteous God, our Creator. For the wages of sin is death. But you may say, wait a moment. <laughs> I thought Christianity was about good news. And it is. You see, though, in order for the good news to be really understand for how good it is, we have to understand the bad news. The bad news that we all have a problem, including me, a problem of sin. Our relationship with our God, our Creator, is broken. And every one of us, including me and you, deserve to go to the lake of fire. We all deserve it. It's what we should be given and what we should receive. But this is where the glorious truth of Christmas comes in. For God so loved the world. Again, not the globe, but the people who live on the earth. He loves us that he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You perhaps heard of him. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was born in Bethlehem. But you know, the real story of Jesus only began in Bethlehem. Jesus grew up. He was a little boy. But he was different than other little boys. 
in that Jesus never sinned. Jesus always obeyed God and his parents. Jesus never thought an evil thought. He never said an unkind word. He never told a lie. He was truthful. He never looked upon a woman to lust after her. He never hit someone in an unkind way. No, Jesus was perfect. In fact, the problem we've been talking about, the problem of sin in that all have sinned, Jesus is the exception to that problem. He did not sin. In him was found no guile. In him was found no sin. He had no sin. He was perfect. But you see, Jesus did not just come to earth to live a perfect, sinless life. Jesus came to earth to die. And you may say, why? For you've just said that death, death is the wages of sin, and Jesus had no sin, so why would he come to die? He was not worthy of death. He was innocent. And you'd be correct. He was innocent. He was not worthy of death. So why did he come to die? Well, just as I said that the penalty for sin is death, Jesus came to pay that penalty. Jesus came to die, die so that we could have life. He came to pay the penalty, for indeed the wages of sin is death. The truth is, is that none of us could pay for, pay for sin, even though we were judged for all eternity in the lake of fire. But Jesus, being in all the glory and fullness of God, he being divine, the God-man, he was able, in his infinite God-man nature, able to die and pay the price for the sins of the entire world. Don't forget the other hemisphere. Every one of us, all throughout history, all throughout time, all of us, he came to die for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I told you Jesus came to die. It was a sad day. He had done nothing wrong. He was guilty of no crime. He was fully innocent. Yet, 
there were those who hated him. The night before Jesus was crucified, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he pled with his Father that if it be possible, this cup, this cup of death, pass from him. But each time that he prayed, he prayed, not my will be done, but thine will be done. Jesus was in such agony that the Bible tells us he sweat drops of blood. Later that very night, after being betrayed by one of his very own disciples, he was led away to an illegal trial. A trial held at night, which was against Jewish law. In that trial, there were false witnesses and all hired to tell lies of him. The Jews found him worthy of death and were determined to kill him. But you see, at this time, the Jews did not have sovereign power and authority. They were still under the yoke of Rome. And so they couldn't kill a man. As you see this whole historical account come to pass, you understand why the, Jew, the Romans made this limitation. These Jews seemed to like to kill people for no good reason. They wanted to kill Jesus. So the next morning, Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. There he was brought. He was accused. He was brought to Pilate and said, this man is worthy of death. And according to our law, he ought to die. Pilate, the governor, took Jesus, brought him in, and questioned him. Finding no fault in him, he came out and he told the Jews so. I find no fault in this man. They were not satisfied. They demanded that he be killed. Pilate thought that perhaps by having Jesus scourged, he might appease these bloodthirsty Jews. So he commanded that Jesus be scourged. Jesus was stripped of his clothes. His hands were tied above his head. He was lifted up off of the ground so that his feet barely could touch the ground. And then there were two Roman soldiers, one on either end, each with a whip, a scourge called the cat of nine tails. This was an instrument of torture. It was nine strands of leather. And interwoven throughout this leather were pieces of bone, metal, glass, anything sharp or heavy to cut and to tear and to bruise the skin. And the one guard on this side would take that whip and would whip the prisoner and it would wrap around his body. 
And those sharp objects would cling to the skin. And then he would yank it, bringing with it ribbons of flesh. As soon as his whip left the body, the soldier on the other side did the same. Jesus had already been beaten, but the Romans had no silly law. I say silly because that's the way the Romans viewed it, as the Jews, where a man could only be scourged 30 times. When the Romans would scourge a man, they would do it until he was nearly dead. And many times they would do it even as a form of execution until the prisoner was dead. And we know from prophecy that they did so to Jesus. For in Isaiah chapter 23 or 53, it was prophesied that his visage, his body, his appearance was so marred more than any man. When we consider this and compare it to the historical records of the way that the Romans scourged men, by the time that scourging was done, Jesus was unrecognizable as a human being, for his visage was so marred. When Pilate brought Jesus out in such a state, dripping in blood, hoping to appease the Jews, it seemed as if the Jews had just gotten a taste for blood. For they immediately cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said, Why? What evil hath he done? They said, By our law, this man ought to die, for he maketh himself to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he trembled. He questioned Jesus again. But there was nothing he could do, or so he thought he could do, to stop the madness of the crowd. And so Pilate, he called for a basin of water, and it was brought to him. And he washed his hands declaring himself to be innocent of this man's blood. And when he had finished washing his hands, he ordered that Jesus be crucified. He was delivered over to the soldiers. He was led out along with two other criminals, thieves. He was led through the city. He was brought to the hillside outside of Jerusalem. And there on that hillside, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And it was amazing that as they did these things to him, Jesus could look at these soldiers and say, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of such agony and torture and pain, this man, who was more than man, the Son of God, was able to behold his tormentors and forgive them. They took him, nailed to that cross, and they lifted it up and dropped that cross into the hole. And when it came dropping down with the nails in his hands and in his feet, it yanked all of his joints out, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus hung there on that cross. It was of great, great torture. It was invented to be a painful and miserable death. And so it was for Jesus. But as he hung there on that cross, something, something incredible happened. You see, I told you that Jesus came to earth to die to die. This is why he had come. And something happened there on that cross. My sin, your sin, the sin of the whole world was placed upon him. He knew no sin, but he was made sin for us. He took my sin, my guilt upon himself, and the penalty for sin is death, and so he paid that penalty for sin. He paid the penalty for sin when he was made sin for me and died that day on that cross. Before he died, though, as he hung there on that cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For you see of all the torment, of all the torture, of all the pain that Jesus had gone through. It was oh so small compared to that moment when his relationship with his father, God the Father, was broken. When his father forsook him because of me and because of you because of what we have done 
our sins were put upon him. And he paid for them. And his own father, in his holiness and righteousness, forsook him. For no sin could be in his presence. A short time later, as Jesus cried, was hanging there on that cross, he cried out these words. It is finished! Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And at that moment, he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. That means he gave up his life. He, the prince of life, had full power over this situation. It wasn't the scourging that killed him. It wasn't the Romans that had killed him. He himself gave up his life. And when he cried out, it is finished, it was not a cry of defeat or despair. It wasn't like, oh, this is done finally. No, it wasn't that. It was a cry of victory. It was a cry of triumph. The work, the payment, the debt has been paid. It is finished. It is finished. It's finished. There's nothing more that needs to be paid. The problem of sin, the solution has come. The penalty for sin can be removed because the payment for sin has been done. That's why he cried, it is finished. But he was dead. He was truly dead. The Jews didn't want Jesus to be hanging there, for the next day was a holy day. So they petitioned to Pilate that Pilate would break their bones. You see, typically with crucifixions, they were long torments of agony. Men would sometimes hang on these crosses for two, three days until they died. So to break their legs, they could no longer lift themselves up to breathe. So they came and they broke the legs of the two thieves. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. So they took the spear and they drove it up into his side. When he pulled it out, the record tells us that water and blood came out. Jesus was dead. That day he was taken down from that cross and he was laid in a rich man's tomb, a brand new tomb. They weren't able to do for him the custom and traditional burial, for they had not time. They purposed that they would come back in a few days and do that. Jesus, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, Jesus, the one whose name means Jehovah saves, 
Jesus, the Prince of Life, was dead. And buried in a cold, dark tomb. Now, with most people, this would be the end of the story, wouldn't it? But not with Jesus. Jesus was different. You see, Jesus was God. And Jesus was the Prince of Life. You know what the Bible tells us happened? Three days later, three days after Jesus died on that cross and was placed in that tomb, the Bible tells us that an angel came down from heaven and the angel rolled away the stone that was over the entrance to that tomb. And you know what? Jesus came out alive. He was no longer dead, for he, the one who had laid down his life, he took it again. He rose from the dead. When the women came later that morning to there anoint his body, they found him not there, and instead there was an angel who said to them, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. In fact, Jesus had said he would die, and Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And here now, 2,000 years later, we remember this day, and we celebrate our Savior, Jesus. And you know what? He did die. But he also came back from the dead, and he lives today. He's still alive, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. On that cross, he paid the penalty for sin when he said, it is finished. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, he not only had paid the penalty for sin, the payment for sin, he defeated the power of death. And that's the reason why when we read of the greatest gift in John 3:16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's the one who's able to give life. You see here, again, Jesus didn't come to die for the plants and trees and animals. He came, may I say, put the dot here to represent He came to die for you. 
and for me. And what does this verse say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what does it say? Believeth in him should not perish. That is the penalty for sin, but rather have everlasting life. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that you have a problem, the problem of sin? Do you believe that you deserve and are worthy of the penalty for sin? For the wages of sin is death, eternal death in the lake of fire. Do you believe you are worthy of such a penalty? Or have you received the gift? For it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received the pardon for sin? We have a problem. The problem of sin is that all have sinned. The penalty for sin is the lake of fire. The payment for sin was paid by Jesus, and it was paid in full when he cried out, It is finished! And when he rose from the dead, he offers a pardon for sin. Will you confess in your heart and with your mouth the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Will you receive him, his life, the greatest gift of all, the greatest demonstration of love? The Scriptures say, but God commendeth his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? This much he answered as he stretched out his arms and died. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being made sin for us. Thank you for giving your life a ransom for us. Thank you for rising from the dead and defeating death. Thank you that you live. Thank you for the offer of salvation, the gift of eternal, everlasting life. Thank you for your promise to come again. Lord Jesus, we need you. I pray here for each one that each one would believe on you, depend and trust wholly and alone in you to be saved, that they not perish but have everlasting life. May each one trust you today. Dear Spirit of God, move and work among us. You do a great work. 
reprove, rebuke, convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And indeed, may you show us our need for Jesus. We commit ourselves to you as we this day thank you for loving us. We praise your holy name. It's in your name, Jesus. Jehovah saves, we pray. Amen.